My name is Dimitri, and I'm a productivity and minimalism enthusiast. I'm Chance. I'm a philosophy and ethics enthusiast. And you're listening to the Rise Productive Podcast. The show where productivity meets philosophy. And what it means to build a better life. Enjoy the show. Hello, people. Welcome back to the podcast. Today, we're going to talk about professionalism. But first, Dimitri, how are you? I'm good. Um, speaking of professionalism, how much do I want to say about this? Life's been good in regards to the professional world for me. Is that, I think I can leave it in, you know, you know, you know, you know what's going on in my life, but yeah, I don't know how much you can, you want to divulge, but <sighs> yeah. Um, I'll just say I'm happy with where I'll be at after I graduate. Yeah. Just for anyone listening, jazz hands for Dimitri. Jazz hands. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was a good week. Um, think last week's podcast was fun this week's podcast is going to be good too i had i have a video coming out sunday that i'm starting to make about how i quit dessert for 30 days which will be out by the time this comes out so you'll enjoy that the weather's better oh man i'm ecstatic about the weather oh jesus man anyone watching the youtube videos they'll see the uh the fun shirt but man i've been rocking with it it's just like the birds are chirping the sun is shining feels good yeah it feels good and i'm just I'm beyond ecstatic for, I don't know. We like ran today and it was in the morning and it was like six mid sixties, low seventies out. It was ridiculous how nice it was. Oh, it's incredible, man. Just Just a great opportunity. Great opportunity to get better. Just a great opportunity to improve ourselves. Um, we have a joke running, I mean, a year joke running with another one of our running buddies. And, uh, Anytime we pass them on a day in the morning, even if it's cold, we'll hit them with a, just a great opportunity to get better today. Well, I mean, cold is adversity, man. Adversity is the best place to get better, you know? Yeah. Everything's an opportunity to get better. Yeah. <laughs> like, um, it was, I think this past weekend, it's like in the or low sixties. I was like, eh, I don't know how I'm going to feel about like running in the fifties, sixties, but, uh, it was, it worked out. It, it ended up being okay. And, and then I looked at the the calendar and I was like, oh, it's going to be 70, 80, maybe on Tuesday. We're living large here in Shyland. Yeah. It seems like the, we've, I keep saying this, but I think we've finally broken that, you know, that barrier where we're actually in nice weather. I keep saying this and it goes back to like 40 degrees, right? But yeah, I think we're in Chicago summer mode, which is, doesn't get much better. So as a, a connoisseur of the weather of the, the place I'm from, I will say that in my experience, there is a, a rule that you have to have to follow in order to have summer slash nice, even spring weather. Uh, if it's past the second week in May, you're good. Pre that, all up in the air. <laughs> like it, it can have those nice days like today. But as you saw, I'm sure on the forecast, it will be 50 and raining tomorrow, I think. Yeah, so we're not out of the clear yet. And what's the date? April 27th. So it ain't mid-May. <laughs> You're screwed. Uh, but no, it's it's starting to break a little bit, which is nice. But these next few weeks, we'll, we'll still have the mid-50s, which not fun for now, but we'll be good. We'll be good soon. Yeah, for sure. With that being said, we're going to talk a little bit today about professionalism. What it is. Is there a point? Do we like it? Do we not like it? Should we get rid of it? Should we kill it? Yeah, as I wrote in our little uh, podcast notes, yeah, professionalism, <laughs> should we kill it? <laughs> yeah, that was your, uh, we have a little uh, document, obviously, about like ideas we got and 
I, I, I got a good kick out of that. That's probably why I chose to, to want to do this one. Mainly. Yeah. I, I like to give it uh fun titles. We'll talk more about that when I, I do my, uh, my block scheduling podcast. Divulge, yeah. But. Yeah. We'll, we'll break that down more when we get there. But, um, where do you want to start with this? What do you, what are you, what are your thoughts to begin with? I think, um, I think it's very timely that we're talking about professionalism as we are reaching some kind of transition point as um, this pandemic hopefully is coming to some kind of close and we start yeah. to have these conversations of returning to work. And I think it's really interesting to see the the limits of the lack of professionalism within this past year. I mean, I don't know you have people in classes who have their cats showing up in the background <laughs> and people like having parents yell at them and you know i mean lawyers getting caught not wearing pants <laughs> in like quote unquote trial it's just like very interesting to see how far we've moved away from these standards and it's like on the spectrum are we going to fully fall back to our normal professionalism standards or is there going to be some kind of middle ground yeah i think that's definitely interesting uh, an example i thought of by the way from class that was funny was i was mid final or not final presentation midterm presentation with my group for a for a project uh was a marketing project and one of my group members mid presentation her dog freaked out like like spasms just started like, yeah, screaming well, well i mean yeah just extreme levels of barking out of nowhere <laughs> and i'm just like oh uh and the the professor was very nice about it was chill about it she goes okay i'm sorry one sec and it was mid during her speaking part like apparently the dog gets extremely jealous whenever she's talking to somebody else and on zoom and stuff which we've noticed in group meetings but i wouldn't think would be a problem like specifically during the presentation i thought maybe she'd i don't know make sure that it was i i don't know i thought she'd get that figured out beforehand uh, not her fault, I don't think, but it was just like, wow, like, and I had an epiphany regarding, okay, in any other presentation in real life, there is no way the professor would have to deal with that. So I'm hoping he doesn't dock us points for this. Yeah, I think that it's, <laughs> that's unfortunate. And I think that professors have been very understanding of the unusual circumstances. Um, but I don't know. I mean, I'm generally, and I guess this won't be something that matters a lot in the long term unless mm. Zoom continues to play a large role in our lives. But I think I'm generally anti pet in the cam just because I don't know, like people will, like grab their cat and start petting it. And it's like, okay, like now you've distracted everyone effectively. I am too. And I'm a big dog person. And that's why I'm pretty much anti pet in the cam because I'll just get extremely distracted if there's a cute puppy in the Zoom. Right. Exactly. I'm just like, oh. Oh, what is that? Is that like a, is that a schnauzer? Oh, look at, oh, what is he doing? What is yeah, he doing? Yeah. And then with this, with this team member though, I think, I mean, to her credit, she put them in the other room. Like the dog was out of the picture. And then next thing, I think the dog just started hearing her speak. And she's like, the dog's like, who are you talking to? You're not, you're not, you're not messing with me. Wait, you don't want to talk to me. You put me in another room. You don't want to tell me. What is up? What are you doing? So that, that's how that went. A little greedy attention. <laughs> I mean, they they have unconditional love, but let's be honest they they do want they do want a lot of attention back, which is sure. fine by me because I love puppies. But yeah, that's that's a recent experience of people being quote unquote unprofessional while still maintaining the the okayness with it afterwards. That was interesting to me. Right, and I think that um, I mean, I mean, obviously that's not something that 
Yeah, I mean, it's possible, right? With Zoom and like, I don't know, hybrid work, that could definitely still be a factor. But um, I'm definitely curious about other factors in terms of, um, I think a lot of times people think of professionalism, they think of like the suit look, right? Oh, yeah. And it's like, are we going to return to this fully kind of formal dress attire or some kind of business casual or just like casual? And um, I wanted to do a little research and see like whether any sort of increase, decrease in productivity has to do with people dressing more casually in the house. And I found one study, I think that you also stumbled upon this Mm -hmm. in our independent researcher researching. Um, It was called the impact of workplace attire on employee self-perceptions. Yeah. And they asked a group of, I believe it was like 90 participants from three different grad programs. So they're college students and Mm -hmm. um, just asked them, would all things being equal, in three different jobs, would you prefer a job that has formal, business, casual, or casual wear? They asked them that. And then second, they asked, when you wear formal, business, casual, or casual, how do you feel about yourself? Do you feel productive, self-confident? They accounted for about, I think, 16 different personality or emotional attitudes. And they found some kind of correlation where when you're able to choose the preference of your dress that is a large correlation with self-perceptions of productivity as well as well as creativity which to me intuitively makes sense it doesn't really matter what you're wearing as long as you feel authentic that makes sense yeah whatever you're comfortable with not comfortable but comfortable with i think is an important distinction precisely yeah like it said um people that prefer formal wear which is actually the i think it was the second highest group i think 48 percent said they would prefer business casual which is kind of like in my eyes the middle ground yeah and then with formal dress it was like 28 percent, but it seemed like this 28 percent group was kind of on like a i don't know some kind of power trip when they're in formal attire they just feel super productive and like i don't know it's kind of like that don't poop where you eat philosophy where it's like uh-huh. i'm here to eat i'm not here to you know mess around yeah um it's funny i feel like that saying for me is it's always i've always heard that saying more regarding uh don't date people you work with but i guess messing around in general does apply to the term i I don't know that's the only way i've ever heard that phrase used but don't poop where you eat but the word's not poop uh i definitely I, i i see that uh i think for me i think it's got a matter per person i think what we found in the research there was definitely what the person's comfortable with like for me as you're all probably aware if you're new to the podcast maybe not i am extremely apathetic towards what i wear uh i think there's a certain level of yeah this is my non-pajama labeled shirt so i won't be (laughs) ever wearing the pajama labeled shirts i think that that's the extent of what it is for me uh, to be productive. Now, I do understand the nice feeling of a, okay, you got like a jeans on and for me, jeans and, and a button down situation will get me to be a little maybe more focused because it's a little more serious. So I could see how business casual is where the middle ground ends up sitting and it works out for sure. Right. And I think it's interesting that the reason, I don't know, this aspect of professionalism seems to exist at least from my understanding, is that it's getting people, you know, to be more accountable as well as out of their comfort zone a little bit with the more formal wear. And it seems like 
there's this underlying belief that if we get people out of their comfort zones, they're going to be willing to work a little harder, be a little more productive. But it seems that this, at least from this research and perhaps with new understandings, is that it's about self-realizing what's going to be best for you and then just working within that space and knowing that that's going to be what's most productive for you. So as we come back to, you know, working in person, I think it's going to be interesting to see whether we're going to have these people wearing formal attire in the past return to that or just say, I'm a lot more comfortable working like this, just in like in my jeans or my sweatpants, whatever, whatever is best for you. And it, it seems a little odd or I don't know, almost inconsiderate that we're making people dress in ways that aren't optimal for them. Yeah, I agree. And I was just actually thinking about something about the way we dress and and stuff like that. So uh, I would say you definitely dress differently from me. But (laughs) since we've been at home in our apartment situation, definitely you dress down probably more than you did when you were in person. I think for me, yeah, jeans aren't as often worn. Uh, But I was just thinking to myself, you know, there, there is something that you and I maybe need some perception on, right? So you and I get up and run and shower by like 9 a.m. every day. Mm-hmm. And to us, you know, we're that's our routine to like get into being productive, regardless of maybe the attire that we then put on. But that's not a normality for a lot of people. So mm-hmm. that so us going and putting on the comfortable clothes is in a post running, being productive, getting hard work out of the way, in comparison to someone who put on sweatpants and a, a t-shirt working from home, who may have just rolled out of bed. I knew exactly where you were going. Yeah, could you do you feel like that could be a little bit differently perceived by the mind? Yeah, no, I think um, I mean the same thing with wearing certain clothes in a business setting. Clothes are very ritualistic. It's like mm-hmm. these clothes should be made for a certain purpose. Like you have your pajama shirt, and that makes sense because that is signifying I'm going to sleep, or at the least I'm not working. Mm-hmm. And I think that that was definitely another part of you know, why professionalism in this business attire sense came into being is that it kind of gets people in a certain sense and like makes them think, yeah, this is work time. This is, you're not going to go hang out at home in a suit and tie. No. Yeah. Who's going to do that? Yeah. So it's like, you know, creating some kind of clear distinction between work and play. Yeah. And that makes sense. But I guess maybe just from my skeptical point of view, um, I have read some things in regards to studying and regards to test taking that you do perform better actually within physical comfort, you know, like say for example, a kid shows up to finals week, um, in high school, it's more optimal from what I remember. I think it's high school psych. Uh, I was told it's more optimal if you were to wear sweatpants and a sweatshirt than if you were to show up in like a button down and jeans, like, cause you're less physically comfortable. Like it may not be the dress it could just be the setting that causes the distinction oh yeah i mean i would i'm not trying to defend professionalism in this sense i I think i'm on your side generally i think i i don't know i i wear what's comfortable for me whether it be at the house or when i go to the library or what have you um so yeah definitely not defending professionalism in this sense i'm just uh yeah i think we're on the same page okay yeah um i wonder though when it comes to this, whether a lot of this professionalism has been set up just to, uh, what's the word 
gatekeep um, people who are not already in, if that makes sense. Yeah, and I think that that is um, a conversation that we should have definitely, I don't know, at another point because I don't, I'll admit I don't have a full understanding okay. of these you know, connections between professionalism and a lot of the issues of race that are backing okay. this, which is a lot of the gatekeep in my opinion. But I'll just say generally that I think that this kind of is a system that sits on like, I don't know, certain white precedents and it's like... Yeah, I mean, I'd, it would be... I would be remiss to, to, to not say that business as a whole leading up till now has, has been predominantly controlled by the white population. I feel like that's not outlandish. If right. you look at the numbers, I'd, I feel like that's not crazy to say. Yeah, and so like our perception of formal with being a suit and tie doesn't match with a lot of other cultures ideas of that yeah so it's like trying to narrow it down and gatekeep it in a certain sense this isn't something i want to talk about yeah. fully because i want to grasp a fuller understanding of it before i try to speak on it but i definitely see the gatekeeping i think another thing getting back to kind of like the uh the ritualistic of formal attire is that it almost seems like something like in this one study where just people are like kind of power tripping over the fact that you like have this suit on. It's just like, you just feel like you're going to be so much more powerful or authoritative, productive. And it's like, I don't know. Like, I I know you would certainly disagree with that. Yeah. Have you ever noticed this? Like, uh, it's a movie joke that's consistently there as well as it's a real life situation where people will be like, Oh, nice suit, man. Like it's, it's like both of you are wearing a suit. But there's this sort of, oh, you you bought that for like 80 bucks at, at like Target or Kohl's or something mm-hmm. versus I bought this tailor-made suit. Right. So there's certainly socioeconomic gatekeeping there too, right? It's interesting though that they care so much because it's like, well, you're both kind of doing the same. It's like, oh, well, well, one t-shirt could be nice versus another t-shirt. It's like, okay, well, it's still just a t-shirt. Right, exactly. But like when it gets to the suit level, for some reason there's this, oh, look at my suit. It cost me like $2,000. <laughs> so you spend a lot of money on a, what happens if you get a stain on that? That sucks for you, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And it just feels like, I don't know, like, does that really gave you any more worth than the other person that your suit is worth $500 versus a hundred or what have you? And, um, tying back to, uh, <laughs> I feel like as I'm reading digital minimalism and I've now seen mm-hmm. that, um, the four hour work week also referenced Henry David Thoreau. It seems like he's yeah, the yeah. he's the the philosopher of the of the minimalists. Yeah. But I was um as we were researching for this, I remember in Walden he talks about clothes, and um one thing that he said was that when you go on any kind of new um enterprise, he always says try to do it in your old clothes first. And the only time that we should be getting new clothes is when we feel like the man has changed so much that the clothes no longer fit. And I think he made analogies to, you know, keeping new wine in an old bottle or the way that snakes will shed their skin, their old skin to get new skin. Yeah. It's this idea of bettering yourself and making the man worthy first and then working on the exterior, your, your clothes, whatever. So I think a lot of times we're very backwards in this sense. And this is just a product of professionalism is that, we feel that the worth is coming from the outside where it's like there could really be some kind of 
low quality worker behind this thousand dollar suit yeah very true but that's kind of how we're judging it a lot of times that's true you know um here's an example um you're a breaking bad fan uh for, mm-hmm. so in the first season jesse decides he maybe wants to get a real job you know his parents um kick him out after they find marijuana but it's not his which is kind of funny it's the little brothers right if you <laughs> recall uh and then he goes and like gets all dressed up in a suit and like tries to change his image and then you know that whole charade of the physical appearance and the and the change in his verbiage just gets thrown out the window when it comes to his resume and what's he get, what he gets brought up with regards to like in regards to him trying to get a sales position at a bank and i find it interesting how much of a representation that is of of people who who don't understand that just because you wear it it's like the whole fake it till you make it thing makes sense sometimes but in in a lot of regards just because you put on the expensive suit or you change the way you look maybe it's a step in the right direction regarding being quote-unquote professional uh or being competent in whatever you're doing but it doesn't mean much right yeah and i this is a question that i actually want to counter you with about professionalism is like don't you think that going through these i don't know gatekeeping ritualistic steps is actually a good way of um filtering the system and kind of showing who can take these basic steps of getting themselves in a suit or i mean we could transition to the nine to five who can get up and show up to work at this certain hour even though i don't know i would argue that nine to five is a pretty arbitrary thing that somebody who liked working at nine to five made up see um good point i'll have to snake my way through this one i i understand what that how that could help Mm -hmm. however i think we can do a lot better job um regarding management then in companies of of setting up actual meaningful barriers you know Mm -hmm. like because what does it really benefit the company if the person can can follow the basic instruction to to the wear the suit and and such uh you know the the genius that was steve jobs wore a turtleneck and jeans every day so who cares (laughs) uh i understand you're just listening to like that basic instruction of okay this is a business um business formal office you should be able to keep up with that and then if you're able to keep up with that i understand your your point is like okay then they can keep up with everything else it's a it's a gatekeeping that gatekeeping that could be more effective right we need more effective litmus tests than can you show up at 9 a.m for a job yeah right i think there's got to be some sort of better um test regarding this so for example you know you you see it in other industries and this is a sports reference but uh there's like the the wonderlick test which like tests the capabilities of a quarterback to to handle mental stress and learning capabilities right okay and then you get like never heard of this you got like the physical traits that happen in a lot of these um these scouting grades that come out a lot of people take more stock into the to the actual studied wonderlick test that that showcases you know okay for example peyton manning obviously not a bust great quarterback ryan leaf worst one of the worst quarterback <laughs> busts of all time peyton manning scored great on the wonderlick test didn't do quite well on the gatekeeping of arm strength gatekeeping of maybe i think his height was fine and stuff like that you know do you know what i'm getting that here yeah that we have more accurate predictors than i don't know some of the genetic dispositions that we have yeah like our roommate doesn't exactly 
win the the cleanliness category right but say there's a place for him in a in a workplace and i just don't think him or other people who have these like mild predispositions to not care about clothing and stuff should be hindered in regards to their capabilities to impact companies like mm-hmm. russell wilson shouldn't have gotten drafted in the third round but he's 510 <laughs> he's right. a top he's been a top five quarterback since he walked into the league but since we have these arbitrary gate keeping situations in football or we have these arbitrary situations of oh that guy got a tattoo oh that stinks he must not be a good worker like that bothers me because the person like you have a tattoo on your back mm-hmm. right i don't know if you did that because of the fact that there's professional barriers oh absolutely yeah i mean it's i mean i don't know my aspiration is to be a lawyer and there's so much bias that comes in the yeah we did not even thought about that i hadn't even thought about that until i said the sentence i just said yeah i actually um i interned with a lawyer one time and she was telling me how depending on whether she was looking at a jury that would be a little more like in a, a county that was more conservative or yeah. more liberal she would change the color of her hair to either be what yeah she'd either like she would change from being brunette or blonde based on what kind of crowd she was dealing with in the jury because she knew that there was this underlying bias of just how people would feel about her wearing her natural color or having dyed blonde hair which for which so she's a natural brunette, but she often rocks the blonde. The, and if she's in a conservative area or, I don't know, county, she would go back to her natural color and wear it a little more straight, a little more traditional. But when she was working within the greater Cleveland area, which is pretty liberal, okay, she would just wear it the way she always wears it, which is blonde, I don't know, curled or whatever she did. But That's interesting. That was one of the most interesting things. And I think that... When I realized how small the biases can be in the courtroom, I just was like, I can't give myself away like this. But it's kind of unfortunate. I mean, that's truly why you probably are um, riding out the mullet as long as you can until until it's considered taboo in the in where you want to go, right? Oh, absolutely, yeah. You're I mean, like, I'd I can't love to do it in the future. <laughs> Although I'm on a streak, man. I've gotten I got hired. By two different companies last summer with this thing. Yeah, okay. That's fair. <laughs> Maybe give it up to the fact that it was a virtual... Okay, one of them was a virtual interview, and I was able to tuck it all behind me and make it seem like I didn't have it. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I don't know. I, that's definitely not a reason I'm rocking it out. But um, getting back to your point about the um, the football test. Sorry, I missed the I think it's called that. Wonderlick. If, if I'm wrong, sorry, guys, but I know that there is a more mental um, aspect to test that they give people when they when they go into the draft Mm -hmm. yeah so getting back to that point i think that you made an interesting point that someone like russell wilson just has these genetic dispositions that fit a mold and i think that that's kind of how a lot of professionalism works if you go to the the nine to five i mean i was looking at this um this study from 23andme the um dna DNA, um, what would you call it? I don't know, company? Like they collect okay. your DNA and they yeah. tell you all this stuff about you. Yeah, it's similar to Ancestry DNA. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Thank you. And um, they took 90,000 participants who had given saliva samples for their DNA. Yeah. And along with giving them their sample, they asked them to fill out this survey. Simple question, are you a morning person or are you a night person? They took this survey as well as the DNA and 
they accounted for who was answering their morning person. And then they looked and saw what kind of genetic dispositions could be the reason that this is the case or if there's no case at all. And they narrowed it down to about, I think it was 15 different genes that they're most confident in being the reason that there's some kind of correlation here. But ultimately they found that there could be a five to up to 25% genetic reason as to why your circadian rhythm acts in a certain way. And I found that very interesting because it's like, well, if you're naturally disposed to not be a morning person, of course you can do things in terms of lighting and getting off your screen late at night that would fix this. But with any genetic disposition, there's still some, you know, just natural window that you can't act outside of. And it's like, again, we have to fit into this mold. Either you do or you don't. And it's like those who can't, it's just, it's very unfortunate for someone like Peyton Manning, you know? Yeah. And you're, you're, you're SOL, I guess, in that regard, just because the way the world is. Right. So you're trying to fit a mold and it's, it's a poor test of productivity. I mean, people that have, are just naturally night owls, wouldn't it be better to have these people start working at noon? Yeah. I mean, we know people personally who are, who are like this. We know people who during the summers, I mean, they get up at noon or the winter breaks, they get up at noon and then they come back here and they have to get up at seven. Um, so it's, it's kind of, it's kind of interesting because I have always been a little bit, uh, I feel like recently I've gotten more open about this topic, but I have always been a person like, Oh, you should get up early. Like it's, there's no reason not to. And my reasoning now looking in more reflecting on that logic is mainly due to the structure that exists in the world. Mm -hmm. While if I could have a perfect world where companies would adjust to people, I would probably say that yes, those people can be more productive at night. They are going to be more productive at night because they're made that way. And I was kind of standoffish about this topic for a while, but I will concede the fact that my main point around do just get up earlier is because the world doesn't care about your 25% um, sort of genetic change. Right. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That, I mean, that's, I don't know. It's not something that, I mean, you personally, I mean, I mean, I think that you have some natural disposition to waking up early because you can thrive off a little bit of sleep, mm -hmm. but we have friends who just don't act that same way. And it's just, um, I don't know, very interesting to me how that works yeah because the nine to five was probably uh hmm. i'm trying to remember how the the creation of the nine to five came to be i from what i remember uh there was a there was more working hours and then labor unions came to be and that's kind of what they settled on right if i recall uh because in other countries it's different like i don't know if you're aware but south koreans work a lot oh i have no doubt yeah like i think a 60-hour work week is normal Mm -hmm. um and then i think sometimes 70 like they have insane amounts of work in comparison to the united states but then you have the the french uh work week which i think is hovering around 35 for considered full-time however um it hovers more around 30 generally mm -hmm. speaking so we, we have a different um idea of professionalism in the world there too and it's interesting even how from what i learned in some classes in my mba that you know professionalism in south korea means something completely different than the united states as well i mean there is a paternalistic uh stance and like more of a um respect your superiors to 
to no ends right in sure, other yeah. in other professional settings across the world mm-hmm. um so it's interesting to me how you know maybe we do have a little bit more leniency now and, and whether that leniency due to the remote work environment that is currently happening and will i would say the remote working environment in the u.s will probably be a third as much as it was during the pandemic like i think companies are just going to take a third of that leniency whether it be how many days you're away how much your hours can change i think that they're going to keep about a third of it and some companies may more but oh yeah and i think that that third will deviate based off the amount of individual versus teamwork you need to be doing i think the nine to five makes sense in a lot of senses when it comes to we need to have a meeting at noon everyone needs to be there like, yeah like everyone should probably have already been at work if we're gonna have a meeting at noon but when it comes to your individual work it's like if you're someone who just naturally wakes up later and as long as the work gets done who matter does it care if you show up at nine or you show up at noon to get it done you know yeah i think a lot of it stems from uh this sort of uh I've said the phrase a couple times. I swear someone just said it and I, I'm misquoting it, but uh, tradition without understanding is like the, uh, I, always end, I always fail like at this part of the saying, <laughs> but having traditions without understanding is, is a waste of time basically. Like mm-hmm. if you don't understand what you have the traditions, if you don't have an actual reason, if you're just upkeeping the traditions of professionalism and starting work at nine uh, and you only have the reason of it's that's how it's supposed to be done it's like wow you really you really gave me a nice synopsis there he gave me a nice <laughs> brief on on the benefits of nine to five versus um 11 to seven but you know good work right yeah i mean the the, the one i've always heard is um tradition is giving a vote to the dead that's which, a good one i like yeah, that i do like that but um no it's interesting i'm not gonna lose my thought this time thinking um it's happening like I'm losing it, man. It's okay. I can, I can keep spieling. Yeah, keep spieling. Okay. Yeah, and it's, it's something that happens in uh, other parts of the world too, right? Um, I think when any sort of situation comes up where someone wants to attack the status quo, I think the status quo in a lot of different senses gets questioned, and then people's reaction to it is more centered around well this is the way that it's it can be done you know uh mm-hmm. i think even with more effective ways of working uh like with tim ferris in the four hour work week we learned a lot about what is meetings <laughs> like w- what is that like what is this something that could have been an email yeah, well, yeah exactly uh in make time when i read that uh half of that there was a lot of references to why is there so many defaults in the world that add time that isn't needed? You know, why do we have these 30 minute default times on Microsoft Teams or Zoom meetings? Like, that's ridiculous. Like half of these should be done in six minutes. Right. And I remember what I was going to say now. There we go. Is that professionalism. There's another aspect to it that I don't think anyone should bash on. But, you know, it comes to having respect for people that you work with. I think that it's just so interesting to me how that is one of the underlying ideas of professionalism. And it seems that so many of the practices are just going against the grain of that. It's just the nine to five work week. Oh, you don't like getting up early. That, that really stinks. Or you, you don't feel comfortable in this suit and tie and you feel like you'd work better. And, you know, maybe even occasionally you do get to work in jeans and a t-shirt and you feel way better. That's unfortunate. So it's very interesting how, like you said, there's not enough pushback in a lot of places when it comes to authority and it's not the 
you know, workers first, company second. It's always, this is the company policy and here's how we're going to follow through. Like, here's how you need to follow through. See, this is again where the, well, you hopefully use the forest for the trees analogy, right? But like <laughs> the companies are missing the forest for the trees again. And, right. and what is the utmost version of respect if you're in a position and, and they have expectations for you? What is the utmost example of you respecting the position? Accommodating for the worker. No, I'm not saying <laughs> the company towards the person. Oh, you're right versa? in that regard for the, for the, employee what is the utmost representation of having respect <laughs> for oh, the get company your work done. get, get your, work your work done, done. like that's all that matt like at the end of the day if you have a hyper productive individual who goes above and beyond i don't think it matters one shred of a poop if you <laughs> are wearing a t-shirt while doing it oh i agree and i mean you look at anyone who's been brilliant man everyone does it in their own way i mean I don't know. You know a bunch about Steve Jobs. I'm sure you could riddle off one of his weird habits. Yeah, or weird. Ha yeah, I mean, the, what the pint, the <laughs> the carrot juice. Uh, <laughs> but no, yeah, they all have their own ways of doing it. Yeah. And I think accommodating towards the individual shows a level of respect for the individual, which then has this sort of reciprocity that comes when the individual that works at the company goes, "Oh, this company likes me. Like I'm really feeling that I am being helped." I want to work for this company more. I want to be more a part of this company. And that's how you get people to conveniently work more than the 40 hours that are expected. And that's how you get these like overachievers in companies. It's not by having these systems in place to gatekeep. It doesn't, I don't, I don't know if, if that can help. I understand why these people who have been in business for so long don't want to change, but I feel like if they were pitched that well enough, there'd be a lot of big changes in the world. Oh, I agree. I mean, you want to go back to that study I was talking about correlations between confidence in yourself and productivity. I mean, it's like having an authority with that, like, you know, the weight of that ethos of an authority saying that, like, you know, do however you need to do it as long as you get it done. Like, the wow. amount of confidence yeah. you would gain in that would just be, I mean, it would increase your productivity tenfold. I mean, it's... It's, imp it's, it's impressive how people react when they're given confidence by those who are, have an authority place over them. Yeah, precisely. And I know that a lot of people during the pandemic uh, were actually, and this is something that's interesting because some people thought that productivity was going to take a huge hit when the pandemic started. <laughs> it was the, it happened eventually, but not for the reasons that were, described by big companies they thought people weren't going to be able to go into the office they were going to be lackadaisical because they didn't have anyone you know sort of having their physical presence around them being like okay they gotta keep tabs on me so i'm gonna keep working a lot of people pretend to work while they're at work because oh, exactly. they have people around but when people were at home what ended up happening is they had no water cooler time they had all these situations where they thought, yeah, I mean, I could be on my phone scrolling, but ah, I should be working. I know no one's around, but I should be working for this company. And what happened is productivity had a, like a 25% spike apparently across the board and mm -hmm. like um, just overall output for companies that survived. And then it tanked a little bit because people got burnt out. And that's what I was going to ask you about is how we need to maybe balance these things is that there's clearly some kind of merit to coming into the office or, you know forcing yourself to get dressed up. I mean, you know, I'll work around the apartment and 
you know, running shorts and a tank top. And it just feels good sometimes when I put on jeans and like a nice shirt and I actually go to the library. So I'm curious if you think that we need some kind of balance here because things like Zoom fatigue and just, I don't know, not creating a good enough workspace where you're able to take yourself and your work seriously. I think it's honestly in a spot of, okay, let's get people to work for us. I'd say in person, like three to four days a week, you give them the option to work from home um, once or twice a week, but you should create a work environment in person that is so well done that they would like to probably go into the office. So you see the the, the Googles of the world, right? Mm-hmm. Oh my God. Have you seen there? <laughs> have you seen the opportunities that exist by being a Google employee and having the food and having the, the recreation activities at the office? Yeah. You remember that documentary, the, uh, the internship? <laughs> okay. Well, it wasn't a documentary. Um, wh- just... wow. Why do you think that was a documentary? <laughs> I'm just pulling Me and my best bud, Vince Vaughn. Just, <laughs> wow. 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 Really I'm... chance. Really? Wow. I'm just pulling information Owen from Wilson, movies like wow. you. <laughs> yeah, um, not a documentary. But uh, yeah, I mean, not just from that, from actual, uh, sorry, from YouTube videos that I've seen, like from people working at Google mm-hmm. and, and them showcasing what they have. Nobody can has to pay for food if they work at Google. Like they have meals at all times of day, mm-hmm. healthy meals. Uh, they foster a work environment where people want to go to work. Right, and it's a very independent space. Yes, and they have a lot of pride in their workers. They think that they're hiring the best people, so that means that they don't need to micromanage people. And then when people aren't micromanaged and you give them these other sort of, you know, small things that make them want to come into the office, it's like, yeah, I mean, that's so great. I have really nice chefs cooking me meals while I'm at work. That's kind of insane. Also, my boss isn't really on me. It's a nice workspace. I'll go into work today. I could work from home. They have me the option. Let's say they give the their workers the option of working from home once a week. I could guess that if I had to guess based on how Google does a good job in anything else. I think you've got to have this, this leeway a little bit with your workers. You foster a good working environment and then you'll see positives because I remember talking to you about this, but there was like a negative correlation between um, giving more PTO and how much PTO people take. Like you right. give them the option for more, they actually take less. And that's maybe not. Hmm. So say it's a it's a miserable working environment. Mm-hmm. They would probably take more. But the company that's willing to make that commitment is also willing to make the commitment to be accommodating to their employees overall, which is why the correlation is negative. Right. Exactly. It's giving people space to feel authentic within their work. And I think you weaved it really well when you were talking about the the whole idea with Google. It seems like um, they do a good job with, you know, fixing this problem. And I think that this whole problem of, you know, getting lackadaisical, Zoom fatigue and just not feeling any kind of drive by creating a, a, a space where it's public yet yours. Right. Yes. I think that that really helps when we talk back about flow state. I mean, this is um, this is social pressure for one. Mm-hmm. And two, this is novel, I don't know, environment was what it was. Yeah, novel environments there. Right. So you're like creating these triggers by, you know, putting yourself in a space that is public. You're working with colleagues and bosses and stuff like that around you. But it's very much your space, very much like, you know, the home office. So I think that 
that was a good point that you made up that but i guess that's google so i'll give them the credit first yeah um thanks kind of uh but <laughs> there's yeah they're they they're just doing things the right way i think um maybe it's it's like this in a lot of other organizations i'm not aware of but i can tell you uh, i've worked in in a place where it definitely was uh, i had a supervisor who was pretty hands uh, off however the environment of the place was a little more hands-on from most supervisors so i was in the marketing department so it was different right and i and i noticed the difference in in like how we were feeling as a, as a marketing group versus maybe the other people at the company mm-hmm. um i noticed the and i i keep in touch with someone i used to work there with right and i've heard uh how rough maybe the senior management was on their expectations about people going back into the office and they're expecting they're they expected that a lot before other companies uh with a i think but with the pandemic and everything uh mm-hmm. with uh, some of their workers maybe not the marketing department but that senior management sort of always to me based on when i was working there did not have an overall faith like a Google would in their employees and I only say that because I did see some turnover there that shouldn't have existed mm-hmm. I did see some or I did hear some things from people even before that they left or or that person was fired um, as to why even though they had nice amenities you know it's like oh cool they got unlimited snacks they got the coffee they got <laughs> the they got the gym you know it's all those nice things but there wasn't that level of autonomy that they felt they didn't feel confident in themselves or they felt overworked and a lot of these kind of coincided with each other. You know, it's like, okay, you didn't think I could work from home on this snow day and you would rather have me go to the office in this horrid weather where my risks of having a sort of fatal situation occur right. are higher than any other day of the year. Why? Because you don't trust me or you don't think you can work from home. I can work from home due to these arbitrary professional sort of conservative uh, traditions that have been set in place right right and there's certainly a difference between being accommodating and actually being liberating for your employees like you said i mean they can offer you all the free coffee and snacks that they want but if they're not giving you some kind of schedule or you know some kind of freedom of schedule where you're able to just get your work done as you need to and in a way that is going to be optimal for you it's really not doing much right it's honestly just wasting their coffee and snacks because you're not going to work any better yeah like no amount of coffee in the world made me and i i enjoyed it overall there but there was a sense of of myself personally and other people there where i was just like man uh it does feel a little um tighter on the neck at times it just uh, seems like a way to kind of bait you into the the professionalism you know yeah and that's that's something that when I, i'm trying to search for jobs and stuff and and when i get successful in that and i i believe i have been that i i know I got to ask senior leadership some questions, you know, what are their goals? And, and I feel like a lot of questions in that regard will give me, give me some, um, tipping in regards to, okay, this is what they're thinking about the company. This is what they think about growth. They, people can say all they want to care about the employees and stuff like that, but you, you got to read between the lines a little bit here and professionalism in the, the old sense of the word, you know, if people are willing to do things like, during the interview process say take as much time as you need with mulling this offer versus another offer over versus mm-hmm. okay let us know by friday let us know by tuesday like those little things those are i think those are 
tipping your hand a little bit as to what you're going to be like when you end up working there. Right, right. Well, that's a good point. It's like, um, I don't know. The big thing I'm thinking about right now is what Tim Ferriss would say about this. Because there's certainly, yeah. I mean, I see some kind of, I see some good in that. It's like, tell us by Friday, tell us by Tuesday. Well, the company needs to know. Like, they need turnover, you know. They got to get somebody yeah, to fill okay. that position. So there's certainly some merit to professionalism here. And I'm curious in the face of, you know, the potential that we move to a fully home space office. What would Tim Ferriss say about this kind of some good to professionalism, like some of the merits that come with, you know, just being efficient with your time and just like demanding people to show up at least at some point to do their work or, you know, giving us a response pretty promptly as to whether or not you're going to work with us. See, there's a difference in that versus what he wants right mm. versus um the general reason as to why a company may tip their hand in regards to what i was referencing mm-hmm. so i think for him it's about the efficiency it's about those sort of things but he does understand the level of autonomy that's required because his whole pitch is that if you really are an efficient individual you can you know have more autonomy right right, so right. argument in the in the book is is going against the status quo, right, in that regard. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's bad to have deadlines. Obviously, I'm a very deadline-oriented person. <laughs> Parkinson's law. Parkinson's law, right? It's just that little... Uh, it, it was just another um, marker to me. If, say, I've, I was having multiple interviews, it, it would be another marker to me. If And you got to see the whole holistic side to it, right? So say somebody's being pretty you know, generous in regards to the the level of autonomy they're giving you. But then they say the thing about, tell me by Friday. That's different than if someone's being like, okay, well, you need to work in the office every day. We expect this. We expect this. We expect this. Mm-hmm. And then they say it by Friday. Whether that, rather than someone who is trying to get you into the company, they're saying, these are our expectations. But, you know, we think that you're someone who can really fit the company. And maybe the role won't be perfect right away, but we want to help you grow in the in the company, yada, yada. And then when you get to the point of having the deadline, then they say, yeah, please tell us by Friday. You're going to view that a little different. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I think those two statements mean two different things, given more context. Yeah, no, that's a good point. So yeah, Tim, that's, that's what I think about what Tim would say about that. Yeah, that's a good point. It's about giving autonomy, but you know. Hoping that that's the most efficient way to do things. Yeah, because, I mean, he pitched the whole book, and and I'm sure you noticed it a little bit as well. He was doing the best thing for him almost all the time, right? Mm-hmm. And I don't think he, he would f- fault the company for doing what's best for them most of the time. However, he would argue that what the company was doing, quote-unquote, best for them was inefficient. Right, precisely, yeah. Which professionalism is kind of like the general word we're using for like how business currently exists, so... Right, 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 right. And I guess one question I have for you is that um, you mentioned this thing about how companies are looking for someone that will fit their mold. But it seems like if we're going to go against professionalism, the whole idea is that it's the person first and then the company. So I guess my question is, um, should companies be looking for individuals who fit a mold or someone who's just a strong individual and also... If they are that strong individual, how are you testing for that? How do you know this person's going to be efficient if they're not fitting your mold? I have been of the opinion 
based on conversations with some professors that I've had that have been like in recruiting for a while. They, uh, one of my professors works uh, and has been in recruiting for a very long time. I think you got to go for the individual over the fit or sorry, got to go for the individual over the mold of the job Mm -hmm. because you as a company, if you're good enough at um, onboarding, if you're good enough at taking time out of the 40 hours a week to train them can take a person with a work ethic and give them the resources to learn how to perform the job more than someone who knows how to do it but doesn't really fit the culture right yeah that's a good point i don't know i just i'm very curious how um we can move forward in reversing this process is where it you know companies are working to accommodate for an individual who i don't know would rather come in at noon or whatever it may be it's just interesting to me how it, it seems that we can't really, I don't know. It, it seems too individual to be able to say like, yeah, like, well, if you can't come in at nine, then like you must not be a good worker. Like what are the factors that we could be looking for? If not the ones that are currently set up by professionalism, which we've kind of stated are arbitrary and not very strong tests of good employees. I think you do need to have some standards. I mean, I think it's unreasonable to not have any of the professionalism exist. <laughs> right. I just think in an ideal world, uh, you can articulate to individuals that you're going to have a level of autonomy. We're going to trust you to be able to complete the tasks required in this position. However, if you do not with this level of autonomy, respectfully, we will cut the cord. Like, mm-hmm. That's that's my viewpoint on it, because if they are such a great company and they do give these sort of perks, they got people lining up at the door. Right, right, right. Interesting. So you're just saying that, like, if it's a strong company, it'll have the strong individuals in that. Yeah, I don't I just don't think I think there are some situations where people need to do things at certain times. People need to get things done in meetings at certain times. However, I feel like there is. I don't know what the route is to, to peel off of it. And I think that's probably what your question is. I don't know what the route is. I think overall companies should not require people to work from, from there every day, unless it's a physical labor job. You know, right. obviously if you, you, you're a, uh, if you work in a physical job, you should have to be there. But if it can have remote work, I think you got to give them some leniency there. You just need to implement that, implement some more extended PTO implement less meetings and more trainings and see where that takes your company and then kind of adjust to, to see how the revenue does as well as employee satisfaction. Cause if the employee satisfaction is up, I think revenue will also be up. Right. So we're just peeling back the restrictions almost as much as we can tossing them in the water and see if they can swim. And we're only going to keep the swimmers. Yeah, exactly. And you know what, if, if it ends up, and I'm not saying you should like be drastic about a lot of these things. I think if a company is being successful at the moment, I don't think it would hurt though to try to peel back some of these layers. You know, what what would it hurt to switch the, the policy to business casual, right? Do we really think if the foundation of a company is strong enough that you will absolutely tank the company's revenue like in a quarter? I hope not. Good right. Lord, I hope not. If that is the case, you have a serious foundational problem in your company. And you should address the fact that you managed to hire 
workers that can only be productive while wearing suits. Exactly. It's like so many of these things that we're doing, it's just like, what is the actual reasoning? Are we actually going to, it's just going to hurt our bottom line if we quit wearing suits. And finding that mixture between bottom line and caring about employee satisfaction and customer satisfaction is important, right? Because I truly believe increased, and I think there's studies about this, increased employee satisfaction leads to increased bottom line because they want to work more. Oh, yeah. I mean, that goes back to the, the podcast we were doing on music where it's just like the amount of autonomy and personal satisfaction you have with the music that you have chosen is going to make you a lot more productive. It's not the music itself, but it's the satisfaction and independence that you have that's going to make you more productive. So that seems correct. Yeah. And I guess the last like analogy I'll use for this is, and I've used it earlier today, right? Uh, it's a quicksand analogy, or not a quicksand, it's a sand analogy, right? Oh, so this was good. This is good. Yeah. Do you, did you actually think it was good? You said that earlier and I was like, that was kind of profound. <laughs> yeah. Like, all right. So if you want something to happen, sometimes you're going to have a handful of sand, right? And if you grip it harder, you know what happens? Has anyone ever noticed what happens if you grip the sand harder? The exact opposite of what you want is going to happen. The sand will start just casually sifting out of your hand and will fall out. What you need to do a little bit sometimes is seeing where that point of, you know, okay, maybe I can take a little bit of this hold off. And what's going to happen is I am going to be able to hold on to it. And that's what I really want. Now, you may try harder and you may try harder by having these suits and you're going to be more <laughs> professional and you're going to have people always go into the office. But if the workers are not happy, what's going to happen is you're gripping them too tight. You're choking them in, in a sense in their working environment and the employee satisfaction will go down. Your revenues will go down and your goal of good bottom lines and, and good employee satisfaction will drift out of your hand because you are holding the sand too hard. Precisely. No, I like that analogy. That, that was Thank good. you. So, uh. When you start going to the office, you going formal, business casual, or casual? I vibe with business casual. Um, I vibe with business casual, but um, working under the expectations that, hey, coworkers, uh, cool that you guys have uh, wardrobes. I'm going to buy five of the same shirt. You're going to set the minimalism precedent early yeah. on. Yeah. I mean, I think I have a set of five different shirts that I wore um, at my last internship because it was, um, I guess I would say business casual. Like I had to wear a button up and then like khakis. And then on Fridays we wore jeans. Woo. Uh, <laughs> and then um, I just had my shirt for each day. Eventually this is pre-minimalism too. Mm -hmm. This is back when colorblindness was, was the main focus of how to set my wardrobe. I'd like <laughs> mainly wear the same thing every week, but you know, I had my colorblind like, um, coordination going those kind of seem the same though they are i mean the difference <laughs> is the the choices i mean become less because you can kind of wear the the purple with the khakis on different days of the week unless you set it out to be and i i felt like i at that point i hadn't fully come to terms with it'd be okay if i just wore it every the same day every week like purple on monday blue on tuesday oh that would be solid that would get rid of some decision fatigue yeah, but at that point, I had come. I had thought to myself, "Man, you'd be weird. Like you'd be the weird guy at the office. Like you don't want that. You don't want people to realize that you're doing it." Nah, the the best thing you can do, self confidence, Just doing what's authentic. Yeah, and and I I had this a sort of context given to me since then of, you know, people don't care what you're wearing, and have you heard that? Oh yeah, I mean, you ever 
you know, I always, when people are like, oh, like, I really care about what I wear. Just be like, tell me what X this person wore yesterday. You won't remember. Yeah. And that really shows when someone says that statement, I really care what I, I'm wearing. It's like, yes, focus on that. What do you mean? Well, focus on the fact that you just said you care. <laughs> what do you mean? Well, no one else said they cared about what you wear, but you. Right. No one else will remember what you wore by tomorrow, by next week. So does it matter? No. And I want to be that cartoon character that you've referenced before. I want to be the SpongeBob in the office. Like, Dimitri walks in with the gray shirt. Cool. Right. Uh, it gets back to an Thoreau quote that we could wrap up with but he um he talks about the just um you know the fast fashion sense of um clothes and just how like two different shirts can be just threaded just a little different way but one is worth so much and one is just trash right but he has a lot of respect for tattoos because that's skin deep and you cannot change that that's a part of your identity and i think we may have talked about this before but i think when you're able to make a certain outfit part of your identity it's, it seems like you're never even taking it off like Spongebob Squarepants, right? It's just like the, the pants are a part of him. And I think that that's the best way that we can go about using our outfits. Yeah, I, I definitely think so. And I definitely think that's, if there's something that can be learned and uh, for people in general regarding their, their everyday attire as well as their work attire. Um, is there any uh, last points on professionalism that you uh, want to dig into before we close it out? No, I feel like we drag clothes and normal work schedules and going into the office through the mud, but I yeah, there's a little bit of virtue there too. So I think we, we hit it. We did hit it. Long story short, I think changes should be made. Don't bash their existence overall, but let's see if we can find some understanding as to why they exist. Right. And just question why you are really doing these things and if it's actually optimal for you to be doing keep these practices up. if it's optimal keep it up but if it's just something that's been tossed onto you and it doesn't make sense for you it's not that you don't fit the mold the mold doesn't fit you boom with that being said guys thank you so much for listening to this episode of the rice productive podcast and we'll we will see you guys next week bye <laughs>